Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, so I want to uh, dive straight in. There's lots of things I want to talk about. I'm very excited about this uh, sermon for reasons that you'll see in a minute. Um, one of Jesus' titles that he used for himself was the Son of Man. And there are three sentences in the Bible which go, the Son of Man came. So if anyone knows them, they can shout them out. And if, we don't. And if you don't, I'll tell you in a minute. So there are, there are, two, there are two that are... I have one. See, because they've lost. That's one. So that's one of the why ones. That's in Mark 10. You can, you can go to the next slide, I think. Yes, we've got, um, we've got Luke 19. Sorry, seek or save the lost. And in Mark 10, we've got not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But the one that is a how is he came eating and drinking. <laughs> and, you say, and not just eating and drinking. You say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. So he's eating and drinking a lot. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, the God-man himself, loves food. And that means God loves food. And this is very good news. This is very good news for one reason, which is that I love food. Uh, I love steak, curry, chocolate, chips, fruit, not at the same time. I love variety, flavours, the textures, the smells. I love experimenting with a new spice or some sauce we found in Tesco's. I love the time round the table, chatting with friends. I love the sense of care I feel when someone has prepared food to share with me. I love that relaxed, dopey feeling after an hour of good food and conversation. And God loves it too. But you wouldn't necessarily know how much God loves food from the way uh, we seem to talk about it. Um, When I was preparing this sermon and a little stuck for ideas, I, uh, I did a YouTube search, and I kid you not, I visited YouTube and typed sermon on food. And these are the top results. Uh, Breaking the Stronghold of Food, Four Signs Food Has Become an Idol, Bill Johnson's Prophetic Warning on the Spirit of Food, The Food We Should Eat According to the Bible, Need to Lose Weight, Do It God's Way, that's one of my (laughs) favourites, Binge Eating Believers, uh, short but sweet, and there was even one, I'm not joking, Do Not Eat the Food, exclamation mark. (laughs) But but, um, food is God's gift. He made food and he made it enjoyable. He didn't have to do so. He could have made us like trees. We could have just kind of put feet in the ground and got our sustenance um, through something like osmosis. (laughs) He could have made food boring or painful, something we had to do to get by. But he made it enjoyable. And from page one of the Bible, uh, God has lavished culinary variety upon his people. Um, In the Garden of Eden, uh, Genesis 2, we read, And the Lord planted the Garden of Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had made. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So even life, at the beginning, is pictured as a fruit that we can eat. We see there's variety, that the fruit is pleasant, pleasant to look at and good for food. At CCM, we're working our way through what we think are our cultural distinctives. That kind of culture is like what we do, how we do things around here. And something uh, you might have noticed if you've been here for any length of time is that we like to eat well. 
Every single week, uh, there appears a wealth of cakes and biscuits, uh, coffee and all kinds of tea. And that's on a bad Sunday. On a good Sunday, <laughs> on a good Sunday, we have bring and share meals. We call this our good, co- our good food culture. And it's not just for fun. Food is spiritual. Food is woven into the very fabric of our story, right from the beginning all the way through and to when we finally uh, be with Jesus. From the tree of life in Eden, through the Passover supper, to the great feast on God's holy mountain, the Bible is all about food. Whenever we eat together, we're not just consuming the calories uh, we need for the day. We're taking our place in God's story and putting ourselves in line with him if we do it well. If you're not convinced, I have 25 minutes, 35 minutes to convince you. (laughs) First point, food is for family. A few years ago, Amy and I found ourselves churchless, and in our hunt for a Christian family, we stumbled into a musty room with the most disgusting carpet uh, you could possibly imagine. Those of us who were around then um, will know what I'm talking about. Uh, The decor was dated, Uh, the chairs were uncomfortable, they eventually got replaced. Uh, We'd come from a church which had just spent six figures on its its, uh, praise and worship setup, and so Jamie's efforts, although they were wonderful, weren't mind-blowing to us. Andy gave a good sermon, but I couldn't tell you what it was about now. But there were some very nice cakes. (laughs) So... So what was it that made us stay? And it wasn't the cakes. We'd visited maybe six churches. Some had better worship, some had better preaching, uh, some had more comfortable chairs. All of them had less nauseating carpet. On that first Sunday, we got invited to lunch. Uh, Some of you are confident extroverts. Talking to new people comes very easily to you. Uh, But for the rest of us, we really appreciate having excuses to talk to people like, can you pass the salt over, or what's in this? Um, The conversations that started around uh, Andy and Elizabeth's living room are what brought us back the next week. Um, Food builds family, and family is good for us. It builds stable relationships. A recent OECD study um, found that teenagers from families uh, where the family eats a meal together at least five times a week are half as likely uh, to play truant from school. Another study uh, by the same organisation found that regular family meals, meaning more than four a week, uh, double a teenager's chances of getting A or B grades at school. Stable relationships are good for us. Eating together uh, provides the time and opportunity to build these relationships that otherwise get pushed out of our very busy lives. Eating together forces us to become people-oriented rather than task-oriented or status-oriented. Our society quickly divides people into haves and have-nots, servees and servers. Uh, Around food, around a shared table, all of these distinctions fade away. The church leader who asks you whether you'd like a second helping and dishes up food for you is no longer someone who is aloof and above you. The poor person who so often is on the receiving end of charity who offers to clean up is suddenly offered the dignity of contributing. The lonely person, surrounded by chattering friends and offered an offering service at a table, is no longer lonely. It is very hard to remain marginalised when there is someone inviting you to come and join them around the table. Meals are, in that way, a great leveller. The early church understood the importance of this. Uh, Acts 2.46, we're told, day by day they attended the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. And in Acts 20, in the book's only description of a church gathering, we're told that they were gathered to break bread. And we hear from this, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. One of uh, life's greatest joys for me is that all-is-well feeling you get when you've had a long dinner with good food, you're a bit dopey, you have a really good conversation, you look at your watch and it's like what quarter to midnight and you've got to go home or go to bed or something, and the time has just flown by uh, in good conversation and good food. Acts suggests that this is a lot like what the early church was like. This family building aspect of our church services is so, is so important uh, that Paul lambasts the Corinthian church uh, for screwing it up. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, I won't read the whole lot, but uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 20 uh, to 33, um, Paul says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And a bit later... Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without considering the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak, ill, and why some of you have died. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. This is about the communion meal, which when the early church started was actually just dinner. They're doing it so badly that some of them have died. And Paul is very angry about it. Imagine if when we did bring and shares, we only let people eat in proportion to what they brought to the bring and share. How humiliating for those for whom money is very tight. Food is intended to build family and level out our inequalities. So when we eat together, and at CCM this is how we want to be, we make visible this truth that actually we are all equal. We are all made in God's image. We are all loved. We are all valuable to the family. At CCM, we want to be excellent family builders where everyone feels not just welcomed, but valued, significant, and included. The second thing food is for, food is for grace. I hope these are in the same order as they are in my notes. They are good. I don't mean this mumble prayer we say before food. Uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke here about a dinner party Jesus got invited to and how he used it to expose the religiosity of uh, Simon the Pharisee and praise the love and faith of a sinful woman. This was something of a habit uh, for Jesus, the dining as well as the debating. Um, from uh, Luke 5, uh, we read, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi uh, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now the Pharisees here aren't grumbling that Jesus was attending dinner parties. They knew, or they would have known, that heaven was a party. What they're upset about is the guest list. 
Who you ate with in this culture was of vital significance. It conferred status, uh, it conferred importance, it conferred acceptance. A huge proportion of the Jewish law is about what you can eat, how you can eat, who you can eat with. And they're not just health regulations. It was about symbolizing the separation between God's holy, pe God's holy people and everyone else. And this is how the Pharisees would have seen them. Levi wasn't just in the everyone else category either. It was much worse than that. Levi was a Jewish man who had chosen to side with the Romans as a tax collector. He was a class traitor. He was a shill. He was a Mancunian who decided to support Liverpool while sat in Old Trafford. <laughs> he was the worst of the worst. So what is Jesus doing when he breaks social convention and honours the class traitor by inviting himself to lunch? He's bringing the undeserving into his presence. And what do we call this? We call this grace. Grace literally means unmerited favour. Levi was not just undeserving, but ill-deserving of the kindness Jesus shows him. And Jesus shows him this kindness with a meal. All throughout scripture, the undeserved kindness of God is shown to his people with food. Uh, Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on food that is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. I will make with you a steadfast, everlasting covenant, my steadfast love for David. And Psalm 23, the famous one, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. These two passages, so we've got the word mercy in the Psalms one, and we've got uh, steadfast love, it's a bit further down in the Isaiah one. They're the same word, now God, God is talking about his grace and he's using free, delicious, wholesome, abundant food to describe his grace. So if someone asks you, what is this grace that you talk about at church? What is it like? Well, it's like a cup of good wine so full that it overflows. It's like a feast in the presence of your enemies. It's like food so rich it makes your soul come alive. When we eat together, especially when we provide food for each other, we perform the grace that God has shown to us. We're taking this kind of philosophical idea that food is like righteousness or grace, and we're forcing it into action by giving people food. We're communicating God's love to them in a language their gut understands. At CCM, we want our bringing shares to be overflowing with good food, not just because it's nice for us or fun, but because anything less sells God short. Food is grace, and when we share our food, we communicate that to the world. Um, the third one I want to go over today, I'm racing through these, I'm, I've got a timer on me and it's making me panic. Um, <laughs> food is for reconciling. Uh, Peter uh, was Jesus' chief disciple. He was the one uh, to whom Jesus had said, on this rock I'll build my church. Uh, but despite his frequent protestations, Peter screws up big time. Uh, we read in Luke uh, that in Jesus' very eyeline, this is Luke 22 if you want to look it up, while Peter is still in Jesus' eyeline, he denies uh, Jesus three times. And we read that Jesus looks over to him. And it's not like he was being poked with a, by a soldier when he did this. One of these people he denies Jesus to is a servant girl. So it really, like, there's no, he wasn't necessarily under any coercion um, to do so. Peter had fallen. He'd committed a serious moral failing. 
And what do we do when our leaders fail? We might sack them and be done with it. We might have pastoral meetings or restoration processes. We might even suggest they go through counselling. All of these things are probably good and, value, and good and valuable, but they're not what Jesus does. In John 21, uh, we read, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I've highlighted the bits about food. Uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. How does Jesus reconcile with Peter? He cooked him breakfast. It's hard to have a meal with enemies, not because it's difficult to physically cook the meal, lay the table, make the house clean, like pour some wine for them. It's hard to have a meal with enemies because the process of doing it normally makes them become friends. Jesus isn't being novel here. As I've tried to point out with all my other points, this is a theme that goes right from, right from the beginning. In Leviticus 3 and 7, we learn about peace offerings. Now, when an Israelite, of their own free will, so there are other peace offerings that they had to do, but when an Israelite, of their own free will, wanted to make peace with God, they would bring an ox or a goat to the tabernacle. At the entrance of the tent, they would slaughter it, um, and the priest would then sprinkle the blood on the altar to make peace with God. And then as a symbol of God's reconciliation with the offerer, the priest and the offerer would sit down and eat the meat from the meal together. They would eat together to symbolise their reconciliation with God. When we eat together, we don't just reconcile with each other and fix broken relationships. We also act out God's reconciliation with his people. When we eat together and invite others into our meals, we are showing them what God is offering them. We are reconciling with them and showing what their reconciliation to God could be like. Food is, and always has been, for reconciling. Number four. This is my nanny. Uh, she's doing the thing which everyone born before 1930 does and refusing to smile for photos. Um, I actually still have that shirt. It doesn't fit me as well anymore. Um, she passed away a few years ago. Um, uh, she was an absolute champion, but my goodness me, did she like sherry. In my experience, people get to this age where they don't really care about you know, pretenses anymore. You know, they kind of give up on being polite. You could tell how Nanny approached this age uh, by the alcohol content of her trifles. <laughs> she liked sherry, and more than liking sherry, she liked putting it in trifles. And I remember getting to the point where uh, my mother taking a bowl of trifle out of my younger brother's hand um, for fear of, well, I guess drunkenness. Um, <laughs> Nanny's not around anymore, but there are family gatherings where someone brings out a trifle. And it's not as alcoholic. But the same old joke... Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're all adults, so it could be now. Um, the same old jokes, jokes about Nanny and her trifles um, all come out again. But the remembering doesn't stop with the fruit. Um, there was a time decades ago... Uh, we all remember things like uh, decades ago when uh, she would take us out on like, day trips to give our parents a break. And I remember... Um, even though it, this happened well before I can remember anything, how uh, Nanny was a hero when my granddad had a, a slow stroke. Um, she looked after him for years. Probably just, you know, horrible things. just don't get better. 
these moments are very precious for the family, and simple acts of sharing, sharing food around a table can trigger memories. They, it feeds into all the other three we've talked about. You know, it builds your family, it shows grace. But also it helps you to remember. So now when anyone in my family has a trifle, we remember Nanny, her alcoholic trifles, you know, her long fight with all sorts of different things before she passed away. It's very special to us. I'm sure lots of you will have similar weird, like, you know, there are things that have happened in this church and all of us will have memories. Um, God uses food in the same way. Deuteronomy 16. Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock, or a herd at the place or herd at the place of the Lord will choose a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession, in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. The big celebration for the Jewish calendar is a meal, and the meal is for remembering. Don't let the bread rise. Remember you are in a rush. Eat the lamb. Remember the blood on the doorposts. Eat the bitter herbs. Remember the bitterness of slavery. Drink from the cups and remember the promises they represent. Jesus himself takes this communal remembering and adds to it. In Luke 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gives thanks and says, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Passover and communion are our stories. They're how, hidden by the blood of a lamb, God's righteous judgment has passed over us and he's now leading us home to our promised land. When we eat together, especially when we take communion, which we'll do in a few minutes, we remember and we enact our story. Remembering builds our family. It reminds us of grace. It encourages us to reconcile with each other and with God. Food is for remembering. Last week, Colin spoke uh, about uh, robustness um, with suffering. You know, we heard last week that our plant in Withenshaw is um, it's kind of rolling back. Um, we also heard some very encouraging stuff uh, from Tom. Um, and Connor spoke about robustness in suffering, uh, the, the personal costs of God's kingdom growing. I'm hoping that as we've gone through these last four, four pillars of our, our good food culture, you can see how all of this con contribute to our robustness. You know, how do we celebrate our victories? We feast. How do we comfort each other in pain? We share and serve each other around the table. Food uh, does lots of things. And all of us build us into a robust community. I didn't have time to go through all of them. 
Yeah, but the table is central to all of these acts uh, that we do together. But even more important than all of those, or maybe contained in all of those, is that food is about how we look forward to our hope. In the passage we just read, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So here we have a meal, an act of remembrance like we've already talked about, and Jesus is turning it round to look forwards rather than to look backwards. He is tying his meal to a future meal in God's kingdom. But what meal is he talking about? I'm going to read this because it's one of my favourite passages in Scripture. This is Isaiah 25, um, 6 to 9. And Bruce is laughing because I've been telling him about it for weeks. Um, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast out over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, The Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the hope we look forward to when we share good food together. And there's a few things I love about it. It's on the holy mountain, which is a high place. It means we're in heaven, God's presence. The food is rich and meaty. Sorry, vegetarians. (laughs) The wine is so good, it's mentioned twice. And in these three verses, we see all the things we've talked about. In verse 8, the Lord is wiping tears from all faces around the table. This is the fulfillment of a stable, intimate, familial relationship with our Father God. The people around the table are telling their stories and celebrating. They're remembering They're remembering their testimonies. The Lord is taking away the reproach of his people. They have been threatened with this reproach because of their disobedience and their separation from God. And God removes it. He is reconciling. This is undeserved food and undeserved wine for undeserving guests made by God. This is grace. The Lord is making the feast. He is preparing it. It's service. The food is abundant. Abundance is there. The people are rejoicing. This is a celebration. But there's more. If you look at verse 8, we go back? Go back? I think I made it bigger. Yes. If you look at verse 8, of all the ways you can attend a meal, being on the menu tends not to end well for you. And look who is on God's menu at the Almighty Feast. Death itself is swallowed up forever. The ultimate symbol, the biggest consequence of our rejection of God is removed. And it is removed at a feast. When we eat together as a church, we are not just being family. We are not just remembering our spiritual history. We are not just reconciling with each other. We are not just practicing God's grace. We are acting out our future hope. Demonstrating for the world the promise which God has put on offer for them. This is serious, powerful, wonderful stuff. I mentioned earlier that all is well feeling you get after a, after a good meal and good conversation. One day we will be in glory, sat on the mountain, 
feasting on the finest wines and the richest meats. And we will be with Jesus and our Father God, and we will be satisfied. I don't know what it will be about, but there will be excellent conversation. We will be family. We will be reconciled. We will be provided for. We will serve and be served. We will remember all the triumphs of God's grace and mercy. And we will marvel at those stories. And at some point, I will look at my watch, as I've done after many good meals here on earth. It might have been days. It might have been years. It might have been millennia. But even after all that, there will be no fewer hours to enjoy his presence and his food. All will be well.